Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Financial Times Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Anna Dedder from the Comment and Analysis Desk. The global oil and gas industry went on a borrowing bonanza when prices were high. The industry's debt almost tripled from 2006 to 2014 to $3 trillion. It was a classic bubble, one analyst told Ed Crooks. Since mid-2014, the oil decline has caused worldwide value destruction, Ed says. Some of the smaller US production companies that led the shale revolution have gone bust. Some state-controlled oil companies in emerging economies face big potential losses and investors are sharing the pain. Ed says there are growing fears that the debt pile could have broader destabilising effects. Last week, about 600 people packed onto the machinery auctioneer's lot on the outskirts of San Antonio, Texas, to pick up some of the pieces shaken loose by the oil crash. Trucks, trailers, earth movers and other machines used in the nearby Eagleford shale formation were sold at rock-bottom prices. One lucky bargain hunter was able to pick up a flatbed truck used for moving drilling rigs worth about $400,000 new, for just 65000 Since the decline in oil prices began in mid-2014, activity in the Eagleford, one of the heartlands of the US shale revolution, has slowed sharply. The number of rigs drilling for oil has dropped from a peak of 214 to just 40, and businesses from small mom-and-pop service providers to venture capital companies are trying to offload unused equipment. Terry Dickerson, machinery auctioneer's founder, says sales doubled last year, in part thanks to the oil crash. Sellers are sometimes disappointed by low prices for oil-related assets, he says, but they have to accept reality. I feel like a funeral director, he adds. I'm the one that has to tell them the bad news. The fire sale in Texas is just a small part of the worldwide value destruction caused by the oil decline. From Calgary to Queensland, oil and gas businesses are scrambling to sell assets, often at greatly reduced prices, to pay back the debts incurred to buy them. Conventional wisdom has held that low oil prices tend to be good for equity markets and the economy, since cheaper fuel boosts profits and consumers have more cash to spend. But this decline has been different, with oil prices and stock markets often moving together. It's a reflection, some say, of worries about the destabilising effects of the industry's mountain of debt. From 2006 to 2014, the global oil and gas industry's debts almost tripled, from about $1.1 trillion to $3 trillion, according to the Bank for International Settlements. The smaller and mid-sized companies that led the U.S. shale boom and large state-controlled groups in emerging economies were particularly enthusiastic about taking on additional debt. According to Philip Verlager, an energy economist, it was a classic bubble. He says, It was irrational investment, expecting prices to rise continually. Companies that have borrowed heavily when prices were high are going to have a very tough time. Borrowers and lenders alike were reassured by the consensus that the world had entered a new era of persistently high oil prices. In June 2014, a barrel of Brent crude for 2020 delivery was $98, and central banks' post-crisis monetary policies pushed investors towards riskier assets, including oil and gas companies' equity and debt. Spencer Dale, the chief economist of BP who formerly held that role at the Bank of England, says 
two things happened. We had high oil prices and central banks had zero interest rates and quantitative easing policies. That was a potent mix. From 2004 to 2013, annual capital spending by 18 of the world's largest oil companies almost quadrupled, from $90 billion to $356 billion, according to Bloomberg data. The assumptions used to justify that borrowing were undone by a textbook example of disruptive technological innovation. The advances in hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling that made it possible to produce oil and gas from previously unyielding shales. The success of those techniques added more than 4 million barrels a day to US crude production between 2010 and 2015, creating a glut in world markets that has sent prices down 65% since the summer of 2014. The expectations of sustained high prices have vanished. Crude for 2020 delivery is now just $52 a barrel. Oil is back to where it was in 2004, but most of the debt that was taken on in the boom years is still there. In the past couple of months, the crisis has appeared to go into remission a bit. Brent has crept up from a low point below $28 per barrel in January to about $41 on Monday. The global oil market, however, remains heavily oversupplied, leading many to assume that prices are going to stay below their previous peaks for many years to come. Even if oil prices remain at their present levels, the strain on many borrowers will be intense. Standard & Poor's, the credit rating agency, assesses oil companies based on an assumption of an average crude price of $40 for this year. On that basis, 40% of the US production and oilfield services companies that it covers are rated B- or lower. Thomas Waters of S&P says B- is a very weak rating. You don't have a long lifeline. Some of the smaller US oil and gas production companies that led the shale revolution have gone bust. 52 have entered bankruptcy since the start of last year, according to Haynes & Boone, a law firm. Lynn Energy, one of the 20 largest US oil and gas producers, warned last week that it expected to breach its debt covenants. It has net debts of $3.6 billion, but only $1 million in borrowing capacity. Many US producers are now having their borrowing limits, which are based on the value of their reserves, redetermined by the banks. The falling value of those reserves means loan facilities will be cut back, leaving some companies without enough liquidity to stay afloat. When oil and gas companies do go into bankruptcy, there are often slim pickings for creditors. Quicksilver Resources, a Texas-based gas producer, went into Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection last year with about $2.4 billion of debt. This year, it announced sales of its US assets for just $245 million and some of its Canadian assets for $79 million. Its creditors are on course for losses of about $2 billion. Even larger potential losses are lurking in some of the large state-controlled national oil companies in emerging economies, including PDVSA of Venezuela and Petrobras of Brazil. Both companies have large debt maturities looming in 2016 and 17, 12.6 billion for Pedavesa and 23 billion for Petrobras. In the US and Europe, the banks have been quick to reassure shareholders that while their losses are mounting, they are entirely manageable. French banks account for four of the ten banks with the highest exposure. Crédit Agricole, whose 29.8 billion credit exposure to energy is the second highest in Europe, has told investors that 84% of its portfolio was investment grade. Those disclosures were largely effective in soothing fears about energy debt. However, the pace at which loan provisions have been rising is unsettling some. J.P. Morgan Chase told investors in mid-February that it would take another $500 million charge to its reserves in the first quarter to cover likely losses on energy loans, a few weeks after it had said that it would take about $750 million of charges for the full year. Comerica the Dallas-based lender revealed in a regulatory filing last month that between $75 million and $125 million of additional energy-related expenses would be recognised primarily in the first quarter. 
a departure from its previous guidance that the hit would be taken particularly in the first half of the year. Julie Sola, an analyst at Fitch Ratings, says it's alarming that things are getting pulled forward so much. The pace of deterioration is coming quicker than what was previously disclosed. The pain has been more acute for bondholders, with the big losses hitting portfolio managers who stocked up on high-yield junk oil and gas company debt. In February, bond funds lifted cash levels to the highest levels since 2001 to prepare for investor withdrawals. Since crude prices began to fall in the summer of 2014, investors in oil and gas companies have lost more than $150 billion in the value of their bonds and more than $2 trillion in the value of their equities, according to FT calculations. Falling oil prices have hit other markets as risk appetite declines, says Hyun Song Shin, chief economist of the BIS. He says, when the credit cycle turns, you have a combination of higher volatility and tighter credit conditions. It's not the losses, but the possibility of loss and financial institutions preemptively cutting their exposure. Debt raises the risk of instability by amplifying the downturn's effect. When prices are low, producers should cut output rather than selling their reserves too cheaply, and that should stabilise markets. But when producers have debts to pay, they don't have that luxury. They need cash to cover interest and repayments. So some producers actually raise output as prices fall. That perverse dynamic has been in effect around the world. Many analysts expected US shale production to fall rapidly if prices went below about $70 per barrel. But the company slashed costs while raising productivity, so total US output is declining only gently. Russia's oil production hit a post-Soviet record in January. Saudi Arabia also hit record output last year. The decline in the industry's cash flows has prompted huge cuts in investment, with about $380 billion worth of projects delayed or cancelled, according to Wood Mackenzie, the consultancy. Sooner or later, production will fall and the market will come back into balance. But a long period of volatility in oil prices may persist even after the oversupply is worked off. The decision by Saudi Arabia, OPEC's de facto leader, not to cut its output amid surging US oil production means that prices are being set by market forces, not political decisions. Daniel Jurgen, vice chairman of IHS, the research group, says shale has made the US the inadvertent swing producer in world oil markets. Shale wells are much faster to drill and complete than large developments such as offshore oil fields. He adds, how production goes down and up is determined not by an oil minister, but by thousands of decision makers across the economy. The decisions of those thousands of entrepreneurs and investors are in turn shaped by factors including interest rates and the availability of credit. That means the most important decisions of future oil supply could be made not at OPEC in Vienna, but at the Federal Reserve in Washington and the People's Bank of China in Beijing. As BP's Mr Dale puts it, oil gets caught up in the credit cycle in a way that it hasn't been before. Falling production costs mean that if oil rises much above $50, drilling shale wells in the US will start to look attractive again. New wells can break even in all the main shale regions, with prices from about $40 to below $50, according to Reisted Energy, a consultancy. But what has yet to be tested is how keen banks and bond investors will be to finance that drilling. Mr Dale is one of many in the industry who suspect they'll be cautious. He says, balance sheets are going to be weak. Companies are going to be starved of credit. Shale businesses tend to be small, highly leveraged and highly dependent on raising capital. If risky lending becomes more expensive, it's almost inevitable that there will be less investment. Mr Jürgen agrees. Company directors and bankers will not forget that prices can go down as well as up, he says. So we're not going to see the same 100 miles per hour development that we saw when oil was at $100. While investment has slumped in the oil industry, in renewable energy it's hit record highs, helped by widespread government support. 
The commitments on climate change made in Paris in December promised tightening curbs on fossil fuel demand, creating additional risks in oil and gas investment. Back at machinery auctioneers, Mr Dickerson has been stocking up on cut-price oil-filled equipment. He bought four mobile sand containers used in fracking, with list prices of up to $275,000 for just $17,000 apiece. When the industry recovers, he expects to sell them for up to $100,000 each. But before that recovery comes, there are likely to be plenty more bargains on his lots. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.